All right, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, beginning in the 22nd verse, and excuse me, the 22nd chapter, and the 14th verse. And uh, could we stand for the reading of God's Word? And when you have it, say amen. Luke twenty two fourteen. Amen. Amen. Anybody else at it? Amen. We got it. Amen. Okay. There we go. All right. It's coming together. All right. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer." For I say unto you, I will never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your tender mercies toward us. Indeed, the scripture is right, and it says your mercy endureth forever and your truth endures unto all generations. We ask now, O Lord, that you would attend the preaching of the Word, that you would attend the listening to the Word, that you would be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit to cause the Word to be inwardly grafted into our hearts that we might perceive those things which we ought to do, cause us to live to your glory, cause the glory of God to shine in the face of Jesus Christ through your weak servant. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, through whom we pray. Amen. Our text is going to come from the 15th verse, which says, And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In the course of our time together, by the Lord's assistance, we're going to make some observations uh, on some points that uh, are before our notice. We will firstly observe that the Lord Jesus, by his own admission, is possessed of the strongest possible desires. Secondly, we will consider how that his desire terminates on the exercise of religious duty. And thirdly, we will consider how that Jesus longs to exercise himself in religious duty, not only by himself, but with men, and not with men merely as men, but as sinners. First of all, let's observe that the Lord Jesus Christ is possessed of the strongest possible desires. We see this from our text in the words, with desire I have desired. 
Now, two ways the strength of the Lord Jesus' desire is shown. First of all, it's in the word that's used in our text. It's not merely in the original a general word for desire. It's the strongest word in the Greek language for the term desire. It literally is translated in other places as lust. So he's saying not just I desire with desire. He's saying I lust with lust. Uh, the term epithumia in Greek is made of two different parts. The first deals with the violence of the lust. So it's related to a storm wind, like a hurricane or a tornado. It's like the heart of a man is a ship that's sailing on the sea, and the violent winds fill the sails and drive the heart of a person to their destination. And then we have the beginning of the the verse, the prefix, which is the specificity of the lust. So it is a pointed desire, insatiable desire that when, uh, you, you know, you've experienced lust before, if you really want that Coca-Cola, water does not help you. And maybe that's just me. When I want a Coca-Cola, I, I can't stand when I go to Burger King or someplace and I want to get a Coke and, and I forget that I was trying to be healthy and I ordered an t- unsweet tea instead and it looks like a Coke, right? And then you put it in your mouth and you're like, the devil is alive. Because you wanted a Coke. (laughs) And so it is a pointed, violent desire that cannot be quenched until it terminates in its object. The Lord Jesus Christ is possessed of the strongest possible desire. Secondly, we see this in the repetition of the word. Uh, The Lord Jesus, though the text is in Greek in the original, obviously, Christ is a Jew. He's most likely speaking Aramaic to his disciples, and he uses in this text what we call an Aramaism. And an Aramaism is when you're speaking in another language, but you're still talking like you speak Aramaic. And so he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover. That is an intensive form of the verb, or it's an intensive use of the verb. So we see this in the Old Testament all the time, in uh, Genesis, the third chapter, for instance, when God is giving to our first parents the covenant of life. He says, all the trees of the garden, we translate it as, you shall surely eat. In the Hebrew, it is, eating, you shall eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden, ye shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, our English version says, ye shall surely die. But in the Hebrew, it says, dying, you shall die. And so this is a, an intensive sense. It's, you shall surely die. So when the Lord Jesus says, with desire I have desired, he says, I really desire, as the NASB just read, I, I earnestly desire. It's a verbal parallel of, of how the Old Testament uses nouns like King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Song of Songs and Holy of Holies. It is the lust of Christ's lusts. It is the principal lust, the chief lust of the Son of God. It's, as it were, the desire of the desires of the desire of nations. It is the golden law that's in the fiery breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what the sinless Son of God desires more than anything at all. He has many other desires. He has many other lusts. He has many other passions. But this, in this text, is his chief Desire, which by the way, before we go on, that points to the fact that our faculty to lust is not our problem. Because Jesus took on our nature, 
He took on the, the seed of Abraham. He's made like unto us in every way. Jesus has, as our text plainly shows, the capacity to lust, and yet his lusts are always pure and holy. See, there are people when I try to, when I talk to people and evangelize people, and I tell them about what Jesus says about if you look after a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And people will say, well, I don't know how God can hold me accountable because he gave me the desire to sleep with women. I just don't understand. The problem is not the desire. The problem is that your desires for creature things supersede your desire for the creator. The problem is, is that our desire for sex and security and money and power and notoriety and fame supersede our love for God. And so it's not the way that God made you. That's an Adamic kind of cover-up. And that's what Adam did in the garden. Oh, well, the reason why I take this apple, Lord, is because you gave me that woman. And that's what we say. The reason why I lust this way is because you gave me my, my faculty. It's not the faculty. It's your rebellion that's the problem. It is your, it's your abuse of your members. It's as the book of Romans says, you using your members as weapons of unrighteousness. See, the Bible says, uh, it, it describes the same word, uh, epithemia, with multiple uh, adjectives. And it, that shows us that the problem deep down is not the faculty of lusting, it's that our faculty is corrupted by sin. So the Bible calls it uh, ungodly lust. The Bible calls it uh, unharmful and ig- uh, harmful and ignorant lusts, foolish lust, the concupiscence of lust, deceitful lusts, worldly lusts, lusts of ignorance. All the modifiers show that it, the problem is not in the fact that I have desires. The problem is in the fact that my desires rebel against God. And this causes us to not be able to shift under the piercing eye of God's law. Because God's Word goes deep into the heart of man. See, we like to, we like to fancy that as long as the exterior is alright, then I'm alright. As long as I go to church and behave well, then I'm alright. As long as my thoughts generally over and, you know, most of the time are all right, then I'm all right. But God shows us that the fact that we are inclined toward evil is evil. Because Jesus shows us that because you have lust doesn't mean you have to lust. Because you have lust doesn't mean you have to have ungodly lusts. Because Jesus, in our text, lusted. But it wasn't an unclean lust. If there's an unclean lust, there's a such thing as a clean lust. Amen? If there's an ungodly lust, there's a such thing as a godly lust. If there's a harmful lust, there's a such a thing as a helpful lust. And Jesus is going to show us in our text today what is a helpful lust. See, Jesus as a man, he he is three things for us, and he reveals three things to us in our text. He reveals something about his divine person. So what what the Lord Jesus says as to his desires shows what is in the heart of God for mankind because he is God. He is God and man. He is God with his Father and the Spirit. He is a a member, a person in that blessed three-in-one. And so he reveals the desire of God for us in his desires. Secondly, he reveals something to us in his assumed nature. Because he isn't, he hasn't always been a man. He took unto himself 
the nature of a man. And as a man, he exemplifies what we ought to do, what Jesus does, we ought to do, what Jesus thinks, we ought to think, how Jesus lives, we ought to live, right? He is our example. And then it shows us in his specific capacity as our mediator, in his mediatorial office. It shows us what is the end and aim of Christ's uh, incarnation and his circumcision, of his bloodshedding and oblation, of his crucifixion and burial, of his resurrection and ascension. It, he reveals to us this is everything that I am doing through my whole ministry as the Messiah. So, what is the object of Christ's lust? Look at your Bible. The text says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover. So, at, at the very bottom of the Passover, the Passover is many things, but the Passover at bottom is a religious ordinance which God has ordained in His Word. We can say a lot more about the Passover. We can say about something about the exodus from Egypt. We can say something about it being a type of the coming of Christ. But at very bottom, it is a religious ordinance appointed in God's Word. So what Jesus is saying, if we put it in our context, He's saying something along the lines of, my chiefest desire is to go to church and have a prayer service all night long. Jesus' chief desire is like him saying, I want to come to church and hear the ministry of the Word. It's like Jesus saying, I want to come and have holy conference with my brothers and sisters in the congregation and talk about the wondrous works of God. Jesus' chief desire is religion. Jesus wants to be religious. Which leads us to our doctrine that Christ's chiefest desire is to confect a religious relation with sinners. When the Bible's, when I say that Jesus is religious, I want us to understand, because there are, there are lots of misconceptions and misnomers. We use the term religious in a way that I don't necessarily think is helpful because, you know, some Christians will say, well, I'm not, I'm not religious. I have a relationship with God. And that's biblical. We should stop saying that because the Bible is all about religion. Jesus is all about religion. So what is religion? We have to define that so that we can be on even footing, right? So religion is the means whereby a creature makes his approach to knowing and loving God. There is a true religion and there is a false religion. There is feigned faith and there is unfeigned faith, and a Christian ought to have the pure religion and faith unfeigned. See, the Bible assumes that if you are born again in the book of James, it assumes that born again people are religious. So James says, speaking of our new birth, of his own will begat he us by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. So he's described, he's talking to Christians, he's saying we're born again. God has caused us to be born again by the word of truth. And then he assumes that those same regenerate people at the end of the chapter are people who are assiduous to practice true religion. So he says, pure religion and undefiled is this, that we help the widow and the orphan and that we stay unspotted from the world. So he puts the two together. And so what God puts together 
we cannot put asunder. If our hearts are not ablaze with religious affection toward God, you do not know God. If your heart is not aflame with religious zeal, our bodies and souls will be aflame in the fires of hell for eternity because this is eternal life, that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so when, when we, if, we to, if we are to know Jesus Christ, God has to reveal Jesus Christ in his word. So we have to know God in the means of his appointing, and we then must approach God to the means of his appointing. Does that make sense? And so what a true religion is, is when the true God reveals in his true word how we are to know him. Amen, somebody. I want true religion. See, if, if you don't have a revealed religion, then we're stuck with will worship. When you have a, a false religion, you're stuck with making up what you want to believe about God or making up how you're going to approach to God. And the Bible over and over again has great censures about people who make up worship as they go along. One of the most horrifying statements, it's usually a passing statement in the Old Testament, is when God says, I will not abide your Sabbaths and your feast days and your new moons because you do what you want to do. You know, I, I, just, I just, I feel like being spiritual. I just want to worship God. I'm just going to go meditate in the corner. Uh-uh. Because Jesus said... And what God said in the Old Testament, that you shall not inquire of the nations round about thee to see how they worship their gods, but to my statutes and my testimonies and my ordinance you, sh you shall look. We don't make up the way as we go. Jesus desired true religion. Amen. He wanted to worship God in the means of his appointing in the means of his appointing, in the means of his appointing. He wanted to serve God to the letter of the word. He wanted to serve God according to what God commanded. He wanted to serve God not according to the sight of his eyes or the hearing of his ears. He wanted to serve God in the beauty of holiness. True religion. Worshiping and knowing God by the means of his appointing. So as our example, Christ shows us that if his desire is for true religion, our desire should be for true religion. We should want true religion, you guys. We should desire, as the scripture says, our heart should long for the courts of the Lord. My soul should long for the habitation of his house, and the, and the place where his honor dwelleth. We should be glad when they say unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. We should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise because we know him. And when you know him, you love him. And when you love him, you want to please him. And see, Jesus is the only man who perfectly knew God. And so since he perfectly knew God, he perfectly wanted to communicate his love to God, and therefore he did it in the means of God's appointing.
See, the Bible says in the second commandment that the person who does not worship God in the means of his appointing hates God. The Bible says, thou shalt not make unto yourself any image of anything that's in the heaven above or the earth beneath or anything that's in the waters uh, under the earth. For the Lord is a, for the Lord your God is a jealous God, recompensing the iniquity upon those to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. See, people think it, it, it's just a light thing just to do what you want to do in the presence of God, to just come into the presence of God any old kind of way, to, to live one way on Sunday and then go your way the rest of, your, of, rest of the week like you want to live. It's not living in the presence of God day by day and then acting like because you take communion, it's going to be all right. He says, if you worship in the way that I have not appointed, it is an expression not of your love to me, but of your hatred for me. It's because you don't actually want an accurate picture of me. It's because you like the thoughts that you've made up about God more than you love God. And so, we want to worship God in the means of His appointing. True religion is living to God and loving God. True religion is lucid orthodoxy and loving orthopraxy. True religion is fervent desire with diligent endeavor. True religion is robust theology and intimate communion. True religion is hearing and doing. It is faith and works. It is love and light. It is head and heart. It is mind, body, soul, and strength. It is living your Bible and reading your Bible, communing with God privately on your bed, and standing with God in the, uh, in the congregation among His people. It's all of it. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Because, you know, some people, uh, what, what at the bottom of true religion is a religious relation to God. It's not religiosity, okay? And then it's not just relationship. See, religiosity is what the Bible calls the form of godliness. It's the form of godliness. So that's when we, we come to church, we listen to the sermon, we go through a prayer, we might even get real deep with it, and we have, you know, we wake up in the morning and read our Bibles. But then at the end of the day, everything else is separated from that time with God. It, there's no internal affections for God. Your, your heart doesn't really relish it. You just do it because you know you're supposed to do it. Now, I'm reading a book on the Sabbath right now. And um, the author is talking about how uh, the view that people had of the Old Testament religion was that, it, which is incorrect, is that it was merely an external kind of drudgery. But that was never designed to be the way of worshiping God in the Old Testament. God over and over and over again in the prophet says, it's good that you come to my altar, but I want your heart. And if you're not giving me your heart, then don't come to my altar. But what we like to do is we just like to go through the motions. Like God doesn't see our heart. Oh yeah, I'm here, Lord. Oh yeah, I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to ride by. Maybe even shout a little bit, you know, because we know how to act in church. Oh, hallelujah. But then your life is separate from, from everything else. And then you have, you have a so-called relationship. So a relationship, well, I just, you know, God just talks to me in the midnight hour. Is he telling you to live right now? But I, I, just, I just love God. Are you keeping his commandments? No, but I just, 
I just have a relationship. Hallelujah. Do you go to church? No. You know, there are too many hypocrites up in the church. I'm not going to the church. But he told you to go to church. But, you know, I just don't really feel like it. And so the problem is, is that in order to relate to God, you have to be religious. Because the only way to relate to God is on God's terms. And so if you don't relate to God on God's terms, it is a sign that you are carnal and not spiritual. It is a sign that you are unregenerate and not regenerate. It is a sign that you are outside of Christ and do not participate in his benefits. Because if you come to God, he has to reveal himself to you and the way of his, your approach to him. Amen, somebody. The unregenerate person does not want to worship God as God. That's what Romans 1 says. It says that those who are under the wrath of God will not acknowledge God as God, which I think is a fascinating statement. See, I love the Bible because God, he just breaks it down for me because he doesn't say that people do not want to retain God in their knowledge, period. It's they don't want to retain God as God. So we're fine with having a God that doesn't cross us in our will. We're we're fine with having a God that never tells us to do what we don't want to do. We're fine with a God who's strict about the stuff we want to be strict about. We're fine with a God who's loose about what we want to be loose about. But when you have a God that crosses your will, that tells you this is my will and it's going to be done. When we have a God indeed, that's when the carnal man has a problem. See, everybody is fine as long as it's Jesus meek and mild. People are fine as long as it's baby Jesus in a manger because baby Jesus can't talk. But when Jesus begins to open his blessed mouth and say, I am King and Lord in your life and you must bow to me in every aspect of your life with a universal, heartfelt obedience, then the carnal man has a problem. See, people have a, the people have a, they have a great act. Have a great time talking about, well, homosexuality, that's an abomination. But then when Jesus talks about you getting married two and three times, then you ain't got nothing to say. People have a great time talking about, oh, those, those, those corporate people, they're so greedy and they're so awful. But when you're not forgiving your neighbor, then you don't have anything to say. But, but Jesus requires universal obedience. He, he requires the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup. He requires the mint and flax and cumin and the mercy and sacrifice and faith. True religion. According to God's whole counsel. Okay. Am I helping anybody? So Jesus wanted to worship God in the means of his appointing. And that's because Jesus was not satisfied with a makeshift God. He wasn't satisfied with a man-made God. He wasn't satisfied with a God who was in the box of what we consider to be acceptable. It's because he had a real God. Oh, Jesus. He had a real God. He, he knew God indeed. He, he knew a God who tells men when they're wrong. He, 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 he has a... See, people don't like a, 
a God who will cast men into hell. He, people don't like a God who predestinates before the foundation of the world. People don't like a God who is sovereign over all the works of men. People don't like a God, but Jesus had a real God. He had a real God. And I don't know about you, but I need a real God. I need a real God that can tell me when I'm wrong. I need a real God that can love me in the midnight hour. I need a real God who can satisfy me in the morning with his steadfast love. My soul is a thirst for the living God. The living God. There's only one true and living God. It's only the living God who came down from heaven and took upon himself a rational soul and a true body. Only one God who, who was whipped all night long for the sins of men. Only one God who loves you so much and demonstrates his love so much that he would take the wrath, his own wrath, his own wrath, the wrath of his own law and bear it in his body on the tree so that you can escape from the wrath to come. See, see if you don't get all the unpalatable parts of God, then you really aren't going to be satisfied with God. Because that's the real God. There is no other real God. So you can make up some other God, but you're not going to have God. And if, if, if it's a made-up God, it's a finite God. Because if it's made up, it's according to your finite understanding. And so, because God has put eternity in our hearts, you're not going to be satisfied with your made-up God. It might help you on the surface, it might make you feel better at night. It might soothe your conscience, but you will not be satisfied. But I can tell you this morning that I'm satisfied with God. I'm satisfied with God. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus' chiefest desire is to confect a religious relation. So the question is, do you have good religion? You know, we have that song. You got good religion. Certainly, Lord. You got good religion. Do you have good religion? Now, there might be somebody in here under the sound of my voice who doesn't have good religion. And you hear what I'm saying. You, it makes sense to you. I need good religion. I, I need to get into a religious relation with God. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. First of all, you have to understand that in yourself, you don't got no religion. As a matter of fact, you do have a religion, because all, all men, whether they know God or not, whether they believe in the God of the Bible or not, they all relate to God. Either you relate to God in a means of covenant fellowship, or you relate to God in a means of covenant wrath. Either you're in Christ or you're out of Christ. Both of those things are relations to God. Now, one, I would say, is a relation that you don't want to be in, but, but you're still in a relation to God. So you have a religion, but it's not a religion which is conducive to you. And so, first of all, you have to confess your bankruptcy Amen. of having any kind of religion which is pleasing to God. See, that's why in the Old Testament after the fall, God always required a sacrifice and he required a mediator. You couldn't just walk up to God in his presence and just say, I'm just going to worship you in the beauty of holiness. No, you're not. Because you can't stand the beauty of holiness. And so you have to come to God through a mediator. 
See, when Jesus is confecting this relationship in our text, it's interesting to note that he is not participating in the Lord's Supper in the same way that his disciples participate in the Lord's Supper. Did you notice that? Because he says, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you, and then he says, I'm not going to eat the Passover. He says that twice. He says, I will not eat any more thereof, of this Passover, until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then again he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he says, I want to eat this Passover with you, but I'm not going to eat this Passover with you. So what's up with that? Well, what's up with that is, is Jesus doesn't need the Passover. Jesus doesn't eat the Passover because he doesn't need righteousness. He doesn't eat the Passover because he doesn't need a propitiation. He doesn't need the Passover because he can come to God in, as it were, the splendid nakedness of his righteousness. You see, our first parents in the garden, the reason why they were naked in the garden is because their bodies were designed to reflect the moral excellencies of their soul. And so when they fell, they had to be covered because their bodies were no longer reflections of the moral excellency of their soul, but it was a reflection of the corruption of their soul. But Jesus can come to God in his naked righteousness. He can come to God in the plenitude of his name. He can come to God and all the angels and all the saints and all the devils in hell can wonder at the splendor of his majesty because he's righteous altogether. Thank you, Jesus. He's altogether lovely, but you can't do that. See, see, at the end of the book of Revelation, I was always fascinated by this when I was younger because, you know, people would always say that Adam and Eve were naked in the garden because they were innocent. And I was like, well, we're, we're saved at the, end, at the end, but why aren't we naked in Revelation? Why aren't we naked in Revelation? Well, it's because you, you, we can never after the fall relate to God without a covering. See, the, the animal skin covering in Genesis is the white robe of righteousness in Revelation, so that our worship unto all eternity is a worship through the mediator, through his righteousness. That's why we say, uh, I, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust. After all the ages of time have gone by, I dare not trust. After eternity upon eternity has multiplied, I still don't trust any other sweetest friend, but I wholly lean, thank you Jesus, on his blessed name. I'll be leading on Jesus in an everlasting life. We will know intensely, and this is one of the reasons why God suffers us to experience our sins and bear with our sins, because he wants us to see how nothing we are. He wants us to see how mean we are, how ugly we are, how much we need the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, so that forever and ever we will be glorifying the lamb that was slain. Thank you, Jesus. You ain't got no religion. Nothing that's pleasing to God. You ain't got no religion. Nothing which God will accept. We only have Adam's fig leaves and Cain's sheaf of wheat. And it will be rejected if you do not come in the means of God's appointing. 
We have to come, and this is why in the doctrine I said, not only Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be religious with you. Jesus doesn't want to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and just, we're just going to be religious and we're going to worship God together. He doesn't say, have faith in me the way I, excuse me, he doesn't say, have faith in God the way I have faith in God. He says, have faith in me. He, he says, I have to be the object of your worship and affection. It, we don't need a guru and we don't need a life coach. We need a savior. We need a redeemer. We need, a, we need a substitute from the wrath of God. We need someone to deliver us from the wrath to come. I have to have faith in Jesus. I have to disavow myself from my own religion, from my own will, from me getting my own way, from the way I want to live. But thanks be to God that Christ has a fullness of religion to give. See, Christ is God and man. So as God, he is the object of our worship. And as man, he's the leader of our worship. He is the ultimate worship leader. He, he's the ultimate song leader. He can outsing anybody in this room. See, some of y'all say, oh, Anthony, he has, has a wonderful voice. Jesus has a wonderful voice. I can't wait to get to heaven because I want to hear how, how Jesus sings the Psalms, how Jesus leads us in his praises of his fullness, of the fullness of his piety, of the fullness of his purity, of the fullness of his religion, of the fullness of his devotion to God. We have received grace upon top of grace. The whole Christ would give himself over to the sinner by gift and grant, body, soul, blood, and divinity in this Passover. In our religious worship, in our faith in him, he gives himself. That's why he says, this is my body, because it's God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, through the Son, conferring all that God is upon sinners. Upon sinners. That strikes me because he says, with desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you. He's talking to Peter. Brash, cusses too much, ain't got no sense, crazy, cutting off people's ears, ready to fight. He says, I have desired to have this Passover with you. He says, I've desired to have this Passover with you to Matthew. He was a tax collector. His friends were harlots and thieves, unclean to the Jewish people. And he said, I want to have this Passover with you. He was talking to Thaddeus and Bartholomew and, and all the other people whose names we can't remember because they were nobodies. And, and we don't have books that they wrote. And, and we just know they're one of the 12 apostles and we, we hardly know anything about their lives. And you might be a nobody and nobody might know your name. But Jesus says, with desire, I have desired to have this Passover with you. He, he's talking to a group of people that by the end of the night 
don't have enough spirituality to stay up at night and pray with him, and all abandon him in the hour of trouble. Is that anybody in here? But Jesus says, with desire, I have desired to have this Passover with you. He says to Judas that betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver with desire. I have desired to eat this Passover with you. You betrayed me by your sins. You preferred me over the world. You preferred me over the pleasures of this life. But I still want to have this Passover with you. You, you, you're not even strong enough uh, to pray for somebody's headache. You, you're not even spiritual enough to pray for 10 minutes. But I still want to have this Passover with you. I love you, even though you're a sinner. I love you, even though you're messed up. I love you. And I knew that you were messed up when I offered you the invitation. I knew you were messed up. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him when he set up the Passover table. And yet Jesus still said to Judas, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Secondly, you have to understand that if you remain in a state of nature and are outside of having a religious relation with God, to confect that religious relation, you have to get it by waiting on the means of God's appointing. So you can't get saved. You can't talk about, I want to be saved, and then you, you don't even come to church. You can't talk about, I, I, I want to live a life better, and I want to live for Jesus, and, and you, you frequent nasty movies more than you read your Bible. You can't say, I want to have a religious relation with God and abandon the means of grace. You can't say, I want to have a religious relation with God and still live like the world and act like the world. You have to get in the means of His appointing. See, the Bible says in the book of Acts, in the first chapter, you shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But in the book of Luke, he says before that, go and tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jerusalem was the place of his appointing. They didn't get the Holy Ghost until they went to the place of his appointing and waited in the means of his appointing. And so you can't grow in the knowledge of God if you don't read your Bible. You can't grow in Christ-likeness if you're not communing with Christians who are further along in the gospel as you are. If you truly want to confect this religious relationship with Christ, you have to wait in the means of His appointing. That means you have to be in the means of His appointing, and you might have to wait on Him a long time. You might have to struggle with sin a long time. You might have to resist the devil a long time. You might have to struggle with addictions for a long time, but you got to wait on him, honey. You got to wait in the means of his appointing. You have to be like Jacob and say, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm going to keep on coming and keep on reading. I don't think I understand it right now, but I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on calling you, Jesus, because I know that you are the only one who has the words of eternal life. And so I'm going to wait. 
Oh God, teach us how to wait. That, that's a repeated, a repeated command in the Psalms, wait on the Lord. Is there anything that anybody's waiting on the Lord for? There are sins that are still in your life and you're just waiting on them. And you, it seems like it's uncrossable. You know, there's a song that we sing, have you any mountains that seem uncrossable? And have you any rivers that you can't tunnel through? But God specializes. Woo, my Jesus. Y'all going to make me preach in here. God specializes in things that seem impossible. And he can do what no other power but Holy Ghost power can do. Woo, third, a man remaining in a state of nature may attain to true religion by remembering that Christ Jesus is just, willing, and able to receive all such as forsake and confess their sins and come to him by faith as he offers himself in the gospel. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. See, the term the fear of the Lord in, in the Bible is the term that the Bible uses for having true religion. It's the fear of the Lord. So the Bible says that, the, that Jesus will be quick in the fear of the Lord, that he has the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so you have the fear of the Lord, and yet you hope in his mercy. You come to the means of his appointing, but you have to come expecting that he'll meet you in the mean. We're going to have the supper today, and, and you might have sinned this week grievously, but your heart is broken, and you want to come to Christ, and the devil might be telling you today that God doesn't want you. You just so messed up, and you've been doing this for years, and you just ain't nothing, but you can tell the, the devil, get thee behind me, because I hope in God's mercy. Because the eyes of the Lord are upon him that fears him and hopes in his mercy. Jesus is just, willing, and able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why he came to confect the religious relation. That's why the Passover was given in the first place. It was designed to be a type and a shadow of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He didn't have to be the Lamb of God if you didn't have sins to take away. But he says today, I'm willing and able. I'm willing and able. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down. Thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was weary, worn, and sad. But I found in him a resting place. And he has made me glad. Jesus wants to have this Passover with those who have little faith. Jesus wants to have the Passover with weak and lowly sinners. Jesus wants to have this Passover notwithstanding your ungodly lust. Jesus wants to have this Passover notwithstanding your worldly lust. My Jesus wants to have this Passover notwithstanding your carnal lust. My Jesus wants to keep this Passover 
with you. Jesus wants to have this Passover, notwithstanding your uncleanness. Jesus wants to have this Passover with you, notwithstanding your uncomeliness. Jesus wants to have this Passover with you. Be you never so undisciplined. Be you never so entangled in vice. Be you never so unideal. Be you never so without desires. Jesus says in this Bible, with desire, I have desired. He still wants you. He still wants you. He still wants to have this Passover. I'm almost done. So let's consider. For all such as are in the way of truth, for those of us who are possessed of true religion through Jesus Christ, let us first resolve that there is no manner of religion besides Christianity which is confected by God Himself to bring us peace with Him in both this life and the life to come. God the Father has espoused us to one husband, and that is Christ. Let us approach boldly to Christ with a single-eyed devotion. See, as I said before, the lust of Christ are His single-eyed devotion. It's His eyes filled with flaming fire of love for His people. Oh, may God the Holy Spirit work in us such a love, a love divine, all loves excelling to draw us in single-eyed devotion to Christ that burns up the tears of carnal lusts. Let us know God doctrinally and experimentally, let us seek to have a deeper relationship with God. And for those of us who remain yet in a state of nature, who are outside of Christ, make haste to come to Jesus as He's offered Himself in the Gospel. For He says in the text, with desire I have desired to keep this Passover. Not next year's Passover. Not next week's Passover. This Passover. Today is the day that God offers His salvation. His love is a powerful love. But His love is a sovereign love. See, today the doors of mercy might be open. But though Christ is loving, He's not a fool. And that's why the Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. See, some of us, some of us are silly. You know, you're in love with George. And you, you know George don't mean you no good. And so you're just like, oh, I just love George. And you tell all your friends, he's just, he just not doing what I want him to do. And what are your friends, if they're good friends, what do they tell you? Girl, you a fool. Because you know George don't mean you no good. But Jesus is not a fool. And he will not be mocked. And so he offers to you the gospel this day. But he may not offer it tomorrow. You can't wait 20 years down the road and then I'll give my heart to Jesus. Because the invitation might be rescinded, and the door can be shut. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn, and sad. I found in Him a resting place, and He has made me glad. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have taken a true body and a rational soul so that you can confect a religious relationship with us. Notwithstanding our sins, notwithstanding our weakness, but the Bible says that when we were weak, thank you, Jesus, when we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would take of Christ and give us his blazing lust for the things of God. Cause us to be aflame with pneumatical fire and be pleasing to you in all things. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.